0: Would you guys join me in prayer over the word? Father, we just turn to you and we bless your name this evening. I thank you that from eternity past, you dreamed this evening in your heart with your son and the Holy Spirit. You've invited us into your family and we just want to bless your name and thank you for all that you're going to accomplish tonight. As we turn our attention to your word, would you anoint it with power Cause it to go forth and change us, God. We don't want to be the same as we hear this. We want revelation resting upon us. We want transformation coming out of us. And I just want to bless you and thank you for your goodness. We are honored to stand in your presence this evening, Lord. We know that in eternity we will be having a discussion about this evening with you. And we thank you for this opportunity. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Hey, would you guys grab your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 12? Matthew chapter 12. Um, some of you were with me last night, so you know that I'm continuing on. Uh, the people that were not with me, I want to catch you up to what I'm going to be covering this evening. Over the last several months, specifically, um, the Lord's really been having a conversation with me about a specific part of the Lord Jesus Christ that He wants me to explore. So, if we were doing a cata- um uh, I was about to say cataclysmic. That's not a good word. If we were doing a catechism and we were talking about the three offices of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would say that the three offices are Jesus is the fullness of a priest, a prophet, and a king. And when um, you look at a lot of teaching, they seem to focus on Jesus being a priest and a prophet. And we kind of talk about that, especially when it's pastoral ministry. But there's a really important part about Jesus being a king, and what does it actually mean that he is a king right now, and how is he ruling? And I don't know if you guys have ever explored this or thought about it, but there's some real implications for you right now, how you view the world that we live in based on who Jesus is as a king and how he's ruling right now. So I'm going to give you a series of scriptures if you're writing these down. These are things that you can go look at later this evening, but that'll help you get here. I'll, I'll make references to them. At the beginning of the year, or well, actually it was, sorry, towards the end of last year, the Lord started really getting my attention towards this. And he started, it started with Psalms 2. So if you get a chance to look at Psalms 2, it's really kind of a fascinating psalm in the sense that it comes and it talks, the whole psalms is talking about the coronation of the Son of God after he's come to the earth and how the rulers of the nations rage against the Lord and is anointed and how he's going to, he actually laughs at that and then he deals with it. So that's the first one. I know that you guys are like, well, that's an interesting psalm, but what does that have to do with what we're talking about? The next psalm that I'm going to refer to is Psalms 110. Now, Psalms 110 is very interesting because it, again, begins to describe this idea that the Messiah is going to come, and when he is on the earth, he is going to be restored. And this psalm is now talking about being restored to the right hand of the Father. And when that statement is being made, that right hand of the all-powerful God means that he has exerted his strength into that person. And then the psalm goes about saying that he's going to come in the midst of his enemies and he's going to rule with a strong scepter. So he doesn't just sit up in heaven, he actually comes into the events of human history and he goes right to where his enemies are at and he rules. Now what's interesting about that is there's, there's prophecies, there's psalms, and they allude to this idea of what does it mean for Jesus to be a king? Another one that you can go look at is Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel chapter 7, it talks about the nations raging against the Lord and the Lord's response is he's going to come and he's going to take the kingdoms away from men and give it to his children. Now, you guys think about that. We're in human history right now. We're going, what is God doing in regard to human history? And think about this with me just for a moment. Uh it's not like, uh, I, I would say last year was very uneventful, wouldn't you guys? <laughs> and as I was traveling around the country, I kept having people say this to me. And whether I wanted to be pulled into it or not, everyone kept pulling me into this conversation. Are we in the end times? Did any of you hear that last year? So um, I always think that's fun because every time there's a tragedy, we always ask that question. Is this the end times, right? Now depending on your view, and as we're looking at this, depending on your view of what the end times is, how you've been taught, and my goal tonight isn't to teach on the end times, but I want you to think about this. I just gave you some passages where it said Jesus is actually reigning as a king, even in the midst of evil kings, and he laughs at them, so it means there's an active participation. But most people actually look at everything going on in human history like, Jesus was raised from the dead. He's sitting up in heaven, and he's just kind of watching all the evil being done on the planet, and he's accumulating the wrath of God, right? This is how it's presented. The Antichrist is supposed to show up. All Christians are supposed to be scared. Remember all the movies uh, where... They used to do, um, what was it, left behind and all that stuff. And the Christians were always taken out in the middle of the street and their heads were chopped and everyone thought it was great and all that other stuff. And we're all just like, oh, no, Jesus isn't going to be with us. He's just sitting in heaven. And then at a certain point in human history, he's going to come and say, that's enough. And then he's going to reign. He's going to bring all nations under his lordship. And everybody has this idea that Jesus is kind of not doing anything. And then he's going to get sick of it and then act like king. Have you guys heard that theology before? And so there's when people talk about the end times, they they begin to say, "Well, at the end of human history, he's going to act like a king." And yet scripture comes to us and actually says, "No. The minute he was raised from the dead, he assumed kingship again." How do we know that? Well, in Matthew 28 verse 17 through 19, when Jesus is talking to the disciples, he says, "Look, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations. Now, I don't know if you guys would see that, but that sounds like someone that actually believes they have all authority. That's kind of how, like, kings talk. And Jesus is now coming into human history, and he's saying, Hey, I'm actually going to fulfill these things we see in Psalms 2 and these things and." Uh, Daniel 7 and Psalms 110, I'm going to now assume this as I go sit on the throne. This And guys get it, he's sitting on a throne. That's what kings do. So now he's actually in the, the work of fulfilling this thing where he's going to go about making all his enemies be under his feet. So now, as I'm beginning to lay this out to you, do you guys see what's going on? It's saying that God does not passively sit by and let his enemies just decimate people. He is actively involved in the midst of it. And yet most of us would sit here today and go, but look at all the evil on the planet. What is Jesus doing in regards of that? Wouldn't most of you say that? Where is he in the middle of all this? And so now we have to have a conversation. Here are strong texts telling us that he is reigning, and his job is to demolish or abolish every authority, every power, every structure of leadership that is not under his kingship. He is actively moving against them to change the nations. In fact, in Psalms 2, it actually tells us that part of his coronation of, of being raised from the dead was he was given the nations as his inheritance. So this is all good news. Now the question becomes, well, if he's reigning, how do we perceive it in the midst of evil? And what is he doing in response to evil? And how does that actually affect us as believers? I mean, don't you guys sit in your house and think about this at night? It's like, okay, seriously, what is God doing in regard to all this stuff? The, and the schemes I've told you, if you hear people teach on the end times, they've just kind of basically say this to you. In fact, I've had the most fun in the last year. Do you guys know who John MacArthur is? Okay, have you, has anyone been paying attention to him where he's just not a paid attention to any of the stuff that they've told him to do in California and they just do whatever they want and they try to sue him and shut him down and not everything the government does, they can't do anything to get him to close? And, and then they're having thousands of people coming and being saved during this season because they're the only church open in California, basically. Uh, you guys recognize that? And... He made a statement. I was shocked. He's, done, he's doing all this, and he's actually telling everybody how powerful the Lord is. During the, he said, I've never seen the Lord act like this. He says, every time a leader tries to raise himself up against what God's doing in this church, the Lord just decimates his authority, and they, they end up becoming powerless. He said, I've, I've never seen the Lord do this. And then he said this to the crowd of people. He looked at them, and he said, don't you guys get it? We're not going to win until Jesus appears again. Now, so think about it. He just said Jesus is doing all these victories, and then he told them, you're not supposed to win on this side of eternity until Jesus appears again. That's just like filling someone up up with a balloon of hope and faith and then just puncturing it and going, the whole story is you're supposed to be defeated. And I thought, that can't. John MacArthur, this guy's writing Bibles and teaching Greek and Hebrews, and this is his position on the church and what Jesus is doing on the planet. And you know, you guys are like I am, right? When ministers say certain things, do you guys ever run back to the Scripture and go, let's see, does the Scripture actually say that? And as I've been studying this, as you guys like this, I'm studying this, and the Scripture is not telling me this. The Scripture is not telling us that Jesus is just saying you're, the goal is for you to be destroyed everywhere you go. He's actually intentionally ruling. So now we're going to come, I'm going to take with you, if you want to write it down, I'm going to pull a passage and we're going to go and look at it in Isaiah 42. But we're starting in Matthew chapter 12 because what I want is I want them to give us a commentary on Isaiah 42 and then we're going to go back and look at what's being told to us. So, Matthew chapter 12, turn there with me and let's go ahead and start exploring the scripture together. Sorry, I thought I had it. I'm going to have to bring my notes back up here. Hopefully you're there before I am. All right. Now, Starting in verse 8, we we literally have him going and healing. So here we are. Jesus is healing people. He's doing the work that has been prophesied about him dealing with all this. A person has a withered hand. He actually restores it back to normal. The Pharisees are trying to figure out how to kill him. And then let's start in verse 15. It says, but Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Many followed him. And he healed them all. And he warned them not to tell who he was. Now, listen to that. It's actually saying he's healed a man with a withered hand. The Pharisees, are de- now they're having a meeting where they're deciding how to kill him. And he leaves the synagogue and a whole group of people follow him out into the country. And he spends the rest of the, I guess, day just healing everybody. And telling them. Could you imagine a healing service where he says, don't tell anybody. And then Matthew is coming and giving a commentary on what he just seen. And you guys realize the whole goal of the Gospel of Matthew is to reveal a king and the kingdom of God. That's what we call the overarching theme in Matthew, how Jesus is represented. Mostly the idea of king and kingship is in Matthew. And here he says, This happened that was spoken through Isaiah the prophet would be fulfilled. So this is um, Isaiah 42, and it says this, Behold my servant, whom I have chosen, my beloved, in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him, and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. And then verse 20 is where we're going to spend our time. But it says, A bent reed he will not break off, And a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish until he leads justice to victory. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope. All right, so I just gave you a lot of passages where the Bible is coming to you and you're saying, I want to give heaven's perspective on the Messiah as king. And the nations are going to rage against them and God is going to sit in heaven and laugh at them and then he's going to respond to them. And then you have in Psalms 110 where it says God has given him uh, his strong scepter to rule in the midst of his enemies. And those all sound like incredibly powerful statements of God just saying, enough, I'm going to deal with this. But the question is, how is he doing this in the day we live in? So... We would say this as the body of Christ. Well, we accept Jesus as Lord, but this this passage is not talking about the redeem and how they recognize the Lord. It's actually talking about the Lord dealing with evil specifically. How does he deal with evil specifically? And isn't it interesting? uh, It just got off a whole day of Jesus healing people, and now Matthew is saying, well, this actually fulfills this passage in Isaiah 42. And the, the idea of it is this. God's way of dealing with evil, and this is the thing that shocks most believers, because we like the cataclysmic event, and God says, no, it's actually a process. And because it's a process, you probably won't even recognize it, even though God is doing it. Let me see if I can communicate the process. In the day of Daniel, Daniel has this dream about um, idol, this idol that's actually in front of him in a dream, and it's made out of all these elements. And it says a rock that wasn't hewn out of human hand comes and crushes this idol, smashes it, to the point where it just becomes dust, and the wind comes and blows it away, and it says, and then that rock ends up growing up into the greatest mountain of all mountains. So that idea of a rock crushing the idol is the idea of something starting off small and becoming the greatest thing in human history. It becomes the greatest mountain. Do you guys get it? I don't know the process that God has to do, but it's not saying in one day a rock becomes a mountain. It just says it will become, and it's using the idea of a process that the kingdom of God is literally progressing to its final end, whether people recognize it, perceive it, or even understand what God is doing. Do you remember when Jesus was uh, beginning to talk to the disciples and he was trying to communicate, this is what the kingdom is like. Now, remember, when we use the term the kingdom of God, we're talking about the rule and the reign of God. And Jesus is saying, this is how the rule and reign of God is like. It's like leaven that you throw into dough. Now, uh, so get that. It's being mixed into what's going on in society and it's working in what's going on in society and it's producing a change in it even though it's in the middle of it being mixed with it all the time. Now, let's come to the passage. Verse 20 is where we're going to put our attention. If God is actually doing this, if God is actually trying to deal with evil kings, evil kingdoms, and all power, rule, and authority that is against his kingship. How is he going about it? How do we recognize it? And how do we actually rejoice in it when sometimes we look at the world and we go, I don't get it? How can we trust God's plan? Well, let's look at how Jesus, this, this, now this, this uh, pe- uh, prophecy from Isaiah comes up, and I'm going to focus, like I said, in verse 20 specifically. It says, a bent reed he will not break off. Now it's, going, it's now taking the human race, and it's talking about how the human race is perceived in regard to God being in the midst of it. And it's saying, now look, here's what the human race is like. The human race is like a bent reed. It's fragile. And, it, and it's, uh, it's, about the po- it's almost to the point of being broken. And so God comes in the midst of fragileness, brokenness, and sin. And instead of breaking it off, he, he restores it. So God's response to the evil is not to smash people, it's to restore people. The next thing is this. And he says, and the dimly burning wick will not be extinguished. Well, what are we talking about here? Um, This dimly burning wick is actually, if you guys ever um, lit in a candle or or something like that, it burns. And when people blow it off, you can actually see a little flame in it. That's the idea of a, a wick that hasn't been extinguished. It's actually saying that inside the human race, There's a flicker of God inside of it, and Jesus doesn't come and go to deal with it. He actually keeps it from blowing out, and he calls it to not be extinguished. He actually puts fuel back on it again to restore it back to a flame. This is, now, isn't this amazing? This is talking about people that do not know the Lord. God knows they're made in his image. They still have the flicker of eternity on their heart. And instead of putting it out in judgment, he comes in another way of judging evil. And he actually puts a flame and, and starts igniting it again. He comes to... This is the most fascinating thing about Jesus. Wouldn't most of you say, I'd like evil to be, I would like evil to be judged which I would too. I mean, I hate the effects of evil and sin, but the reality of it is, and in God's wisdom, he says the best way for me to do this is actually to come and bring people back to what I intended instead of just wiping them out. And so he's telling you, a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. Let's look at the word extinguish. It's just literally the concept of quenching something. It is not his job to quench the human race, but to re-fire it back up into its original burning. And so this is the idea of the kingdom. This is why when Jesus said, look, I'm king, and I'm going to bring all my enemies and make them under my footstool, we're going to go, well, how are you going to do that? He actually says, how I'm going to do it is not perceived by you because you want me to come on a white horse with a sword and slay everybody. I'm actually going to come as a gentle healer, and I'm going to start a work of restoration in people, and I'm going to change the human race by doing this. He actually, guys get it? He actually deals with evil by showing a greater power of good to defeat it. Um, you, have to, you have to marvel at the mystery of God, that God's power is going to be defined by his goodness actually dealing with evil instead of just judging it all the time in the sense of a negative. Let's keep looking at the passage. It actually says this. Now, this, it actually even gets more interesting now as it says this. It says, until he leads justice to victory. Well, that, what does that mean? It almost sounds like it'd be better to say, until he leads victory to judgment or justice. But it's switched. It says, until he leads justice to victory. Well, let's work through this. Justice. Um, <laughs> how many of you guys want justice in an evil world? Uh, I think there's a whole entire um, part of the body of Christ that talks about justice all the time. Do you guys ever hear it? And they're, they're saying, when is there ever going to be justice in the nations? What is God just sitting back and just letting people do whatever they're doing? And this is very important. What is this word? How is it described in scripture? Because it's actually saying God's going to do justice that leads to victory. So how what is this process that's almost indistingu- uh, uh, indistinguishable by the human race, and yes, it's going on all the time through human history. How is he leading justice to victory? How is doing that? What does the word justice mean? You guys ready? It's a quality aspect of a verdict of God, a quality aspect. So it has two qualities that you need to recognize. When it says justice will lead to victory, it actually, the the Greek term is literally better translated judgment. So if, if we were like doing a study on this Greek word, We would have to write like a paragraph here to fit it in for the word. So they just kind of pick the word justice because it kind of gives the overarching idea. But it's really a judgment to justice that leads to victory. So in every situation, God comes with a quality of judgment in people to deal with evil. A quality of judgment. Now, I don't know if you guys, how many of you perceive the word judgment as a negative? That's because we don't teach a a very good teaching on judgment. There's a quality of righteousness in judgment, and there's a negative quality to judgment in Scripture, but they're actually connected together in one concept, this word justice. So the word justice or judgment emphasizes the the qualitative aspect of of either the positive response, which is righteousness, or the negative verdict, which is condemnation to what sin is doing to people. So it would be like this. God comes to every individual, and he, in his justice or judgment, he offers them two perspectives. This is what everybody sees when they watch people being presented the gospel or whatever God is doing to try to draw them. He is bringing his justice or his judgment near him and he's offering them two qualities of it. He's saying, I, if you respond, I am going to release righteousness and this is going to deal with evil inside of you and the effects that evil has done to you if you respond to it. If you don't respond to it, the justice is going to actually deal with the sin that's inside of you and bring a judgment upon it. Kind of interesting to say that, isn't it? That actually means that everybody, no matter what their position is at any time in human history, they're given an opportunity by the Lord. This is the King of the universe coming to every individual and saying, You are going to be, I am going to come in the midst of you as a king. And while you're on this planet, I am going to either offer you a justice of righteousness or a judgment on the sin before you stand before my throne. And it's intentional to work out his kingship in time before we stand before him in eternity. Isn't that amazing? So do you guys see in Scripture where it says that whatever you reap, you'll sow? Have you ever tried to figure out, well, is that, I mean, what does that fit to? That fits to the fact that God lets everybody have a certain time, and then it's like the judge comes into human history, and he says, okay, as you live your life, I'm going to now put you in a position where I'm going to begin to have a conversation with you. Most people don't recognize it. Usually what happens is everything starts falling apart, and God uses that to say, let's have, let's now, I want you to realize you're in the midst of me now coming and saying, do you want righteousness, or do you want me to judge you in what's going on in your life? I I agree. Well, you guys have already made that decision or you wouldn't be in this room tonight. But isn't this amazing? This is how Jesus is dealing with it. And if you guys are like I am, how many of you watch and you just kind of sit back, whether it's watching the news or whatever, and you sit back and watch the news and, and what they do is they unleash all the evil that's going on on the planet and it almost sounds like, Jesus doesn't care about that. It's always winning, and he's not responding to any of it. And what he's trying to do is he's trying to say, stop standing above it and looking over it. Get where Jesus is in the middle of it. He's in the middle of it with each person, and he's ruling in their lives, and he's he's exerting his kingship over each person and saying, you have to make a decision here, or I'm going to begin to do a work inside of you. Isn't that fascinating? So when everyone, think about this, remember I told you the, everyone's view of the end times, well, evil's going to prevail, the Antichrist is going to chop off all our heads, we've got to get the mark of the beast, I mean, just all the schemes that everybody has, and then everyone always points to the fact that Jesus is somehow supposed to show up and finally deal with it all. And the Bible is trying to tell you, no, Jesus has been, since he's been raised from the dead, he's been dealing with this. And he's coming to each person And he's beginning to have a conversation with him. And he's saying, My justice is going to come towards you. And then we're going to finish the passage. And it says, And you have to realize that it's me and you having a conversation. Don't worry about what everybody else thinks or thinks about this. I'm going to do this to you on this side of eternity because when you stand before me, there is going to be no excuse about this conversation. Now let's keep moving on with the passage. Are you guys with me so far? Okay, and so he says, until he leads justice to victory. Well, okay. What does that mean? The word victory here. Several different words for the word victory, but this is kind of funny. Have any of you ever bought Nike tennis shoes? Well, Nike is the Greek word for victory. So if you ever buy Nike tennis shoes, you can say, I'm wearing victory shoes. (laughs) So hopefully that increased their sales right there. Okay, so... (laughs) But this is a different form of the word Nike and it's interesting. The word victory means a particular result of a victory. You guys ready? It's a it's completing a conquest. So, let's look at the passage again. Jesus is moving through human history and as a king, he's dealing with evil on the planet. He's not ignoring it. He's not evading it. He's actually dealing with it. He's exerting his power, but he's coming to individuals and he says, my goal isn't to crush you. My goal is to keep you from being crushed during this process. My goal isn't to snuff you out. It's actually to fan the flame of my, my divine spark that's inside of you. And what I'm going to do during this season is I'm going to now come to you and you and I are going to have a conversation and you're going to make a decision. Either I'm going to go towards righteousness or I'm going to go for God judging the evil that I've done in my life before I stand before him. But the Bible now begins to say this process is going on because it's going to reach a final, what's called a conquest goal. So it says judgment leads to victory. Victory in what? It's going to be the fulfillment of what we see Jesus being a king, bringing every one of his enemies under his footstool. He will, in human history, be lord over human history. And he's working through all of this, and and it's going to, you guys ready? It's going to reach the mark he intends it. So I don't know. Um, I, I've tried to be kind to share this. It's kind of funny to me. I don't know if you guys have ever seen this, but do you guys know that since two, the year two thousand, every two years, literally, I, I could send you a chart of every two years, the world is flipping out, saying something's going to destroy us. It's either a meteor. It's climate change. The world's going to burn up. The economy's going to crash. It's going to be some flu. It's going to be. And and what happens is it, the the culture is. Kind of flipping out, and everybody's screaming the end of the world like God's not anywhere in the middle of all this stuff. And by the way, everyone flipping about, about the end of the world doesn't mean we're at the end times either, the way everyone talks about it, because they've been talking about this for 2,000 years. What it means is everybody is now getting this idea, everyone's getting to the point where they're expecting someone to actually resolve all this. And and I think it actually reflects what the kingdom of God is doing when God is whispering in people's ears and having this conversation with them. But it's not going to come cataclysmically like everyone thinks it's going. It's happening right now. And it's heading towards its, de- its desired victory where Jesus actually stands back in human history and it ends the way he says it's going to end. He's going to appear on the mountain again and all the nations are going to be under him once more. Do you guys get it? He's subduing all the nations so that when he comes back and puts his foot on the Mount of Olives, he is king of kings on earth even as it is in heaven. So that actually means, if you guys can go here with me, are you guys with me so far? This actually means that as we head towards the end times, we're heading towards victorious end times, not defeat end times. The church is never supposed to sit around and go, well, we're more than conquerors through Christ so that we can be slaughtered by the devil. That, that's just, a, it's just not how Jesus is working. There's no plan for the Lord. When he talks about the increase of evil, he always talks about the increase of his kingdom at the same time. The way that Daniel saw the nations, he said the kingdom of God will be the greatest kingdom until the end of the human age. And so it actually means here you and I are caught in time and we can't see the big picture. So God's kind enough to just tell you the big picture. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to raise my kingdom up to the place where it's superior to any other kingdom on the planet. It, you guys, I hope this doesn't mess with your head. It only gets better for people that are following the King of Kings. It doesn't get worse. We're, we're, on, <laughs> we're on the side of the victory. We're not on the side of the defeat. So think about that. So how do you look at the everyday world you live in? Well, I think in some sense, you have to have what we would call a revelatory picture of human history instead of a what we would call people's facts on human history. Right now, you have a, a um, if I cannot be gross, you have a vomit of facts that have no ability to interpret what they're seeing. They're just telling you about evil all the time. Now, are you guys aware the Bible actually addresses that when you're observing evil all the time and you're listening to that all the time, you're not growing in wisdom and you're not growing in knowledge. You're being fed a line to defeat you, to actually believe that you're not in the proper place of your identity when you're eating from the trough of evil all the time. Evil has a profound effect on the human heart. It quenches faith, hope, and love. So, what is Brian saying here? Is he saying, don't watch the news ever again? Yes. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't care. You can go watch it. But don't give yourself to thinking that's the view of reality. Because the Bible is very clear. That's not where this is going. They're trying to now take the role of the prophetic ministry and they're projecting by looking at evil and saying this is only going to get worse. And then that ends up becoming a false rhema that the body of Christ actually embraces. And then they react to it by living in fear where Jesus says you're more than an overcomer through him who loves you. And so we walk around our culture with the same view of the world just like the world does because we're listening to that line of thought when Jesus says no, no. I'm going to, I've told you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go this direction. It's going to be, you're supposed to be in the arena of compassion towards people and recognize how I'm working through the church, but I'm dealing with all of this, whether you understand it, perceive it or anything. That's why I'm so grateful the Lord has actually come through the scripture and told us about him being a king. Because he's telling you, I'm in control of this right now. Okay, so this is intense theology. It gets kind of dry, so let me just kind of lay this out. What does this actually look like in real life? Last year, um, I, I really enjoy, most of you talk to me and know that I go to Minnesota. I'll be there next weekend. I've enjoyed Minnesota the last year because it's like they read the playbook of Fidel Castro and then just tried to replicate it in the state of Minnesota. And they've been so oppressive that people just walk around in terror all the time in Minnesota. I mean, they're just afraid constantly. And then they've trained the, the people up in Minnesota to just browbeat the living daylights out of each other. So it's not fun up there. And here God sends me into, I'm still going back to Minnesota. I'm doing meetings and stuff. And I'm in a meeting, and we're I think we're talking about miracles. And um, I get a word of knowledge for a lady that had been struggling for several decades with some... Kind of, excuse me, back problems. And she also had some organ issues going on with her, like her colon and her kidneys and her livers and, and stuff like that. I mean, just bad stuff. And, it, and in her mind, it's just going to get worse until she dies. And, and um, I get a word of knowledge about a back. We start with her back and she stands up. And I, I love when God does this. I just say, Well, Lord, would you come and bring your power? And he comes on her, and all of us in the room are just kind of watching her. Now, this is what's funny. You know when you hear so much evil, you just think God's never going to show up anymore? It's like, God's abandoned us. We were actually all in a place like, is God ever going to show up again? And here he shows up in an amazing power. She's standing there, and she's her breathing's starting to change, and so we're talking to her. What's going on with you? And she goes, I... I've never experienced anything like this right now. And we're like, well, what's going on? And she goes, it's like I have a tornado inside of my soul right now. She goes, I "I don't even know how to describe it. It's like this intense... strength is circling in my inner man, right? I mean, he goes, I've never experienced anything like this. And now she's telling us she's about to fall over. And so we're catching her and having her sit in a chair and she's just kind of, uh, her body's sweating and she's just kind of like, Whoa, oh, We're <laughs> just kind of watching her. And this is someone that is, you guys ready? Has never experienced something like this. Never. Now she stood up for back pain. She's sitting there. We're this, we're barely starting the ministry time, we just leave her there, we're praying for other people, we come back literally 45 minutes later, this still the same intensity of the Lord is resting on her, and her back has been healed. And she goes, I don't even know what this is, but she goes, is it going to lift off of me? And I go, well, why would you want it to? And she goes, because this, I'm comfortable with this. And I'm like, oh, it's okay, just go home. So we send her home. And four days later, I came back to the same group because I had a, a different class I was teaching. And she comes into the thing, and she's just, she's a different person. She goes, the Lord rested on me for the next few days, and she said, I feel so good. She goes, all these, pa- I was having pain in my stomach, and my, my, my um, gallbladder hurt, and my liver was bugging me. And she goes, all that pain is lifted off of me. And so... She goes to her doctor. I come back a month later. God healed her of every, we started with her back condition. He healed her of every problem she had. Every problem she had. It was so stunning, it actually shook the whole entire group as that was happening. And we were just looking at her. And you guys ready? Have you ever seen God just kind of do something and you walk away from it going, well, I guess I'd expect God to do that. But that actually kind of shocks me that he did. And I, I kind of walked away from that, and I'm asking God, well, "What were you trying? What was that? I mean, there's something else going on besides you healing her. I'm, I'm grateful for that, but what is it you're trying to get across?" And the Lord started having a conversation with me about, in the midst of struggle, the grace of God increases, because God doesn't like seeing people oppressed. And so anytime there's oppression, he raises the standard of miraculous power. It goes up. And God responds to these things. And he was trying to give us an actual picture of how he, as a king, responds in these things. It shook us. I mean, uh, I still see her every month, every time. And I just look at her and I'm, I'm realizing Okay, I don't know why I keep thinking God's not going to do it the way he said he's going to do it. Look how he responds to people, how he has to go about doing good and, um, and setting everyone free that's oppressed by the devil. He's never stopped doing that. He's never stopped doing it. And the more oppression that's increased, the more he goes around and breaks the power of oppression. Do you wonder how the nations are going to turn? You're going to see the goodness of God come into the nations, and he's going to come against the oppressors, and he's going to... Talk to him. It's your turn. Turn towards righteousness or I'm going to judge you. He's going to deal with every leader that does this. He's going towards a certain path. You guys, ready? You can be at peace because of that. You can trust him in this. He knows exactly how to deal with the nations and to deal with evil. And you're on his side. And so you can actually sit back and join in the victory march. And have fun or get confused by the process of it and think God has abandoned us. I would encourage you, don't get confused by the process. God is working on this stuff. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, that you, it's amazing, your wisdom that you use to deal with evil. I thank you that you still are the King of King and Lord of Lords. And we bless what you're doing in the midst of us, and we just thank you for it. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Now, would you strengthen us with hope this evening? Let a washing and an infilling of hope come inside of us, God. Where your people strengthen us right now. In the name of Jesus. Amen if you're weary in spirit that's the way the lord put it if you feel weary in your spirit would you stand weary in spirit that works if you're weir- if you guys take it that way that's fine if you're just weary please stand the lord would like to strengthen you and again just put your hands out if you guys are okay with that holy spirit come right now release your power over them. You're the God that renews our spirit. Come and renew us. So let it come. You told us, Lord, that we are to expect times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. This is our time right now. Release refreshing over us. Renew our strength. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, bless you, mighty one. In the name of Jesus, amen. Bob, would you stay standing? Okay, so I hope you enjoy this. Um, the Lord um, just kind of standing there during worship, then the Lord just kind of brought your face before me, and he said, tell Bob this. I'm going to give you a double portion of what has been resting on you because you're coming into a new day. And what you thought, well, I'm getting ready for this season of my life. The Lord says, no, I'm getting ready for this season in your life. I had promised you something. I am going to fulfill my word to you. And not only have you been faithful with little, you will be faithful with much. So a season of a double portion is coming to you. So Lord, I ask that you would release that over Bob. Oh, you guys got excited by that. Most people don't. Just release that over Bob right now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's going to rest on you. It's going to actually work. It's going to be like a salve that's just going to work through your inner man, Bob, and you're going to just be different by how the Lord has encountered you. So just release that right now over Bob in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Bob. Hey, Kelly, would you stand? So, um, I actually saw a vision of the, the Lord bringing his finger, it was like he was bringing his finger into your soul, and he was like stirring like water, and I'm like, well, what in the world is that, what is that? And he said, he's, um, he's stirring you up again, and I saw specifically creativity being awakened into you, and he actually said it was a new measure of creativity, so could I pray for that for you? So, Holy Spirit, come right now to Kelly. Release your power and your presence and, and come into that, that reservoir that you have deposited many years ago and just take your finger and start stirring it again, Holy Spirit, and awaken. In fact, we just come into agreement right now. Anywhere where creativity has been stifled, we break the power of that right now over Kelly's life and we release her back into her inheritance to let creativity well up into what God has called it to be right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, Kelly, um, I think I saw your oldest son, and the Lord just told me that uh, he was moving towards him. This is a season where the Spirit of the Lord is going to move towards him, and it's actually going to shock you guys, and so let's pray for him. So, Holy Spirit, come to the oldest son, and just release your power over him. The move that you want to do by... Not letting him be quenched, but to breathe that divine spark back into a flame. Let it come in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we command the blessing of the Lord upon their family right now in the name of Jesus. And I thank you for your goodness, Lord. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right. Please receive the blessing of the Lord, and Bob's still standing, so that'll be good. I'll just turn it over to Bob after I give you the blessing of the Lord, and he'll dismiss us if he can make it up here. Guys ready? Please receive the blessing of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we want to honor and bless your presence, and now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face to you and give you shalom.